All right, we're going to be in Psalm 48 tonight. Psalm 48. We're just going to continue on with a few more of these psalms. Psalm 48. We have been looking at some of these last few psalms are psalms of the sons of Korah. These would have been things that uh, probably would have been uh, sang by the people of Israel. And uh, these last few we've looked at uh, would fall into that category. Uh, and we're going to look at another one tonight and, and one next week. And then we're going to uh, kind of shift gears and eventually get back to some of these psalms of David. Most of these psalms were probably written by David that we see in the book of Psalms. But there's a few sprinkled in uh, throughout uh, the Psalms that were not written by David, that were uh, written by others. And uh, we don't really know who wrote these Psalms that we've looked at the last few weeks. Uh, these Psalms could have been written by David too. We really don't know who the author of these are, but we know from the little superscription above the Psalm that they were uh, Psalms that were uh, to be sung by the sons of Korah, uh, or, or perhaps they were put together in some way by the sons of Korah. Uh, but we're going to be in Psalm 48 tonight, and we'll pray, and we'll get started. Father God, we come to you now, and I thank you for these good words that you've given us, and I pray that you would just help us to learn uh, what we read tonight, and that we can rejoice in you, that we will trust in you, that we will seek you to be our strength in our times of trouble, that you would be a strong fortress for us, dear Lord, that we would praise you for all that you have done for us in the past, and that we'll praise you for what you're going to do for us in the future, even if tough times come, God, let us... Let us see the praise of your people in these psalms that we've looked at, and let us echo that praise in our own hearts. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you uh, listened to this uh, Psalm 46 a couple of weeks ago, the Sermon on that, we'll probably touch on some of the same things uh, that we looked at in that psalm. If you didn't hear it, we'll go over some of it. Uh, but some of the things we discussed tonight, I, I went over uh, in a pretty good bit of detail a couple of weeks ago on that sermon in Psalm 46, so you can find that online uh, if you want to. But these last couple of psalms that we've looked at in Psalm 46 and Psalm 47, these are psalms that are praising God. God's people are singing out to God. They are praising God. They are clapping their hands before God because of the deliverance that he has given them. Now, we don't know exactly uh, what event uh, these psalms were written for. It could have just been psalms that were written just kind of uh, generically as a whole for God's goodness. Or these psalms could have been written for a specific time of deliverance that God had given his people, a battle he had, he had uh, handed the enemy over to or, or something like that, an enemy that had come against them and God had, had protected them and given them strength. Whatever the instance was, though, they are praising God and they are recognizing God and acknowledging him in his greatness. And that's what we've seen in Psalm 46 and Psalm 47. And Psalm 48 is not so different. In verse 1, it says, The Lord is great and highly praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Rising splendidly is the joy of the whole earth. Mount Zion on the slopes of the north is the city of the great king. God is known as a stronghold in its citadels. Look, the kings assembled. They advanced together. They looked and froze with fear. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there. Agony like that of a woman in labor as you wreck the ships of Tarshish with the east wind. Just as we heard, so we have seen in the city of Yahweh of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever. Selah. God, within your temple, we contemplate your faithful love. 
Your name, God, like your praise, reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with justice. Mount Zion is glad. The towns of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Go around Zion and circle it. Count its towers. Note its ramparts. Tour its citadels so that you can tell a future generation. This God, our God, forever and ever, he will always lead us. So again, similar language to what we've seen in the last few weeks. God's people are praising God because no matter what enemy has come against them, God has helped his people to prevail. Now we see plenty of examples of this throughout the Old Testament. There were some times where God uh, allowed these enemy kings and enemy nations to come in and overtake the people of Israel because of their disobedience. But when God's people were faithful to him and called out to him, he was faithful to deliver them. And these uh, people of God in Psalm 48 are praising God for his deliverance. Now, one thing that we see here that I don't know that we've talked about much in the past, but that is a reference to this city of God because in verse 1 it says, The Lord is great and highly praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Rising splendidly is the joy of the whole earth, Mount Zion on the slopes of the north. Now, we have saw a couple of references here in this chapter about Mount Zion. Well, what is Zion? Well, we see Zion and Mount Zion mentioned quite a few times in Scripture. And the meaning of it really could be taken in a few different ways. If you want to look with me at a few different examples, if you want to flip to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7, we see our first mention of, of uh, Zion in Scripture. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7. We'll flip through and look at a few different verses tonight. Now, in the context of what's going on here, uh, David is going up against into battle against the Jebusites. Now, when we see Jerusalem mentioned in the Bible, it was originally a city called Jebus. We see that uh, mentioned to us a few times in the Old Testament. It was a Jebusite city by the name of Jebus. Now, it also is referred to as Jerusalem, and that's what we know it as. The city was, was, was at first, the, the Jebusites lived there. They controlled it. And David, the king of Israel, was coming in, and he was going to go against the Jebusites. He was going to overtake the city. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, the Jebusites tell him, there's no way you can overtake this city. You can't, we're, we're heavily fortified. There's nothing you can do to come in and take this city. Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Yet David did capture the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. Now, there's our first mention of Zion in Scripture. And even though it doesn't say Jerusalem in that passage we just read, what we see throughout the text as we continue to read in the Old Testament is that Zion is Jerusalem. Zion is the city of David. The city of David is, is Jerusalem and, then, and that area around Jerusalem. And we see Zion referred to in a few different ways in Scripture. Quite literally speaking, Zion was the physical place of Jerusalem. Now, sometimes it may talk about just the city itself. Sometimes when it's used, it may talk about kind of the whole area uh, geographically in that, in that area around Jerusalem. Sometimes we see it referred to as Mount Zion because uh, Jerusalem was kind of up on a hill, up on a mountain. If you notice when you read in the New Testament especially, 
people are always going up to Jerusalem and they're always coming down from Jerusalem. Nobody ever goes down to Jerusalem. Everybody always goes up to Jerusalem. It was on a hill. It indeed was a mount. It was Mount Zion. And that's the reference that we saw in Psalm 48 tonight. And so when we see Zion, oftentimes in the Old Testament, it's speaking of Jerusalem. But it's also used uh, in a symbolic way. When we see Zion talked about, it's not necessarily always speaking of uh, Jerusalem. Sometimes it's, it's uh, speaking symbolically of the Zion that is to come, the heaven that is to come. Uh, and we will see that further as we continue to read more examples. If you want to turn to 2 uh, Kings chapter 19, 2 Kings chapter 19, this story may be somewhat familiar to you. We're going to look at verse 31. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 31. We just talked about this story a few months back. This was actually the first week we met outside after we came back from COVID. This was the first uh, passage we looked at in 2 Kings 19. Now, this is the story of Hezekiah. And, and there was an evil king who was coming against them, King Sennacherib. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said, Look, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to hand the enemies over to you. You're going to overcome them. They're not going to overcome you. That's pretty much a, a summary of, of, of what this story is about, a great story. Go and read it sometime if, you, if you're not familiar with it. But in 2 Kings 19, verse 31, it says, For a remnant will go out from Jerusalem and survivors from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will accomplish this. Now, this is just a, an example showing us the connection that we see oftentimes between Jerusalem and Mount Zion in the Old Testament. Uh, we see those things mentioned together sometimes. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, I think we see a, a similar reference where we see Jerusalem mentioned and we see Mount Zion mentioned. Now, he's speaking of a, a physical place here. It was a physical place, Mount Zion, uh, Jerusalem, where God's people were. Now, God's people were there, and God's temple was also there. And God dwelt with his people there, and they were significant to Jerusalem. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so there was a lot of, a lot of significant to uh, Jerusalem, to Zion in the Old Testament. And that's kind of what we see in Psalm 48 tonight, that God was going to protect his people. He was going to be with Mount Zion. He was going to uh, save them from these enemy kings that were going to come. And indeed, God had done that. And in Psalm 48, God's people are praising God because he is watching over them, because he's watching over the city of Zion. If you want to turn to Psalm chapter 87, Psalm chapter 87, verse 3. Just another reference here. The whole, whole of Psalm 87, as short as it may be, it's speaking about Zion. That's what it's talking about. And in Psalm 87, verse 3, it said, Glorious things about, are said about you, city of God. Now, when it talks about the city of God there, it's talking about Zion. It's talking about Jerusalem. And so we see these, these connections all throughout Scripture between Zion and Jerusalem. 
But not only is it a physical place that we see about, not only is it sometimes referred to as the hill that Jerusalem sits on or the place where Jerusalem sits, it's also the place where God dwells. We see that in a very physical sense in the Old Testament with God in the temple, that God dwells with his people there. Uh, but as we read the New Testament, we begin to see uh, maybe the, the more symbolic use of Zion uh, from the Old Testament to say, hey, look, when we talk about Zion in the New Testament, we're talking about it in a symbolic way. Now, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 9, verse 33, we'll look at a couple of examples and see what that looks like. In Romans chapter 9, verse 33, Now, leading up to this verse that we're about to read here, God is talking about, uh, or excuse me, Paul is talking about Israel. Now, we know that Israel, a lot of Israel at least, rejected God. But, but, but it says in Romans chapter 9, verse 6, it says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. And so God's chosen people were not just simply those who had the right bloodline. That's what Paul goes on to say. Uh, Israel was not just simply those who were born and can trace their bloodline back to uh, the Israelites. Israel is any who will put their faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on uh, to talk about that in chapter 9, that anybody who will put their faith in Jesus Christ becomes Israel. We become grafted into the tree. So for the Jew or the Gentile, whoever it is that puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they will become part of the kingdom of God. And whoever rejects Jesus Christ, even if you... Uh, are part of the bloodline of, of, of one of the 12 tribes of Israel, well, it doesn't matter. Our, our, our salvation is not based on our bloodline. It's based on our faith in Jesus Christ. And so he says, look, Israel is all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it was just those who came from the right bloodline, who belonged to the right tribe. Now, even then, there were people who feared the Lord, and when people would humble themselves before the Lord and repent and seek the Lord and fear the Lord, well, they could come in and be part of the Israelites too. But in the New Testament, Paul is saying, look, those who are Israel are those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Both those who are born Israelite are those who are born Gentile. And he goes on to say at the, toward the end of Romans 9 and verse 33, he says, As it is written, look, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. Yet the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. Now here we see uh, that mention of Zion here. He said he's putting a stone uh, in Zion. Now he could mean that in a very literal sense. Now this is an Old Testament passage that's pointing forward to Jesus. Jesus is the stone. He is the cornerstone. And he says, look, I am putting a stone in Zion. Now, Jesus literally was in Jerusalem among the people of Israel. And so he could mean that in a very literal sense, and maybe he does. Uh, but I believe when he speaks of Zion here, he's speaking of God's people. There is a stumbling block coming to God's people Israel. Now, they should have been looking for Jesus and said, look, we are going to build our faith and trust on Jesus, who is the stone that we're not going to stumble over, but a stone who will be our cornerstone, that everything we have in life will be built on him. But instead, many of the people of Israel stumbled over Jesus. They didn't listen to what Jesus said. They didn't put their faith in Jesus, and they didn't want to follow Jesus. And so when Jesus came before Zion, or before the people of Israel, 
physically in the place of Jerusalem, many of God's people, chosen people, Israel, stumbled over Jesus. He was a rock that uh, was to be tripped over. But for anyone who believes in him, they will not be put to shame. Now, as we just looked at at the beginning of this, of this Romans chapter 9, that includes the, Israel, or the Israelites and the Gentiles as you read through chapter 9. So when we see some, some, some mentions of Zion like this, it's, it's possible that uh, we can see a shift here maybe where Zion is used not just in a physical sense of Jerusalem, but maybe speaking of God's people as a whole. Now, I think we see further evidence of this in Hebrews chapter 12, if you want to flip there. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 18 is where we will start. Now in Hebrews, it's a good book for you to read. I say that every time we go through it because it's a good book for you to read, so I'll just keep saying it, and maybe if you hadn't read it, you will read it. But the author of Hebrews is trying to get the people who, who are his audience here to focus on Jesus, to not focus on the law, to not focus on Moses, to not seek to be justified by their actions, to not uh, give in to any kind of crazy teachings, to not go back to the old way, but to stand firm in Jesus Christ. And this is one of the points he's making uh, of many throughout the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18. And it says... For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. And even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. Now, a little context there, that's speaking of what occurred back in Exodus when God uh, was above the mountain and boy there was smoke and all these sounds and thunders and all these things were going on and Moses could go up to the mountain and he would speak with God but if you remember that story when we went through Exodus the people said look Moses we don't want to go up there we can't go and stand before our God you go and intercede for us you go on our behalf and whatever God says we will do it now we know that that was short-lived. They didn't do whatever God said. But this is what this reference here is to, that, look, we are not those who, in a physical sense, have seen God on the mountain. We were not there to touch the very mountain that God was before. And, uh, and even in that mountain, it says, even if an animal touched it, it must be stoned. And so it says in verse 21, the appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. So here we have this reference to an Old Testament mountain, where God physically was before his people, where his people could physically see and hear what was going on, where Moses physically went up on the mountain. But we're not in that same, in that same type of, uh, of thing as the people of the Old Testament. While they were there in a physical sense, the author of Hebrews is, is, is explaining things to us in a spiritual sense. And he says in verse 22, Instead you have come to Mount Zion the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now that's a clue there, I think, to help us to understand that he's not necessarily speaking of a physical place. I don't think he's talking to these people and saying, look, you've come to Mount Zion, that is, you're in Jerusalem. And he explains that by saying, what is this Mount Zion? Well, it is the heavenly Jerusalem. To myriads of angels in festive gathering to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to God who is the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous 
people made perfect, to Jesus, mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. And so as we see often in the book of Hebrews, the author is pointing the people to a better covenant. Now, the covenant that came through the blood of Abel, well, it was sin, and death came from sin. So what we see in the story of Cain and Abel is we see death in the world as a result of sin. But we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we are part of a better covenant if we do so. A covenant that does not result in death, but a covenant that results in eternal life. And the, and the example he gives us here is that of Mount Zion. In the Old Testament, there was the mountain where Moses and the people went. But for us, he speaks of us as Mount Zion, as the heavenly, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so we see these mentions of Zion in the New Testament, which, which uh, seem to put Mount Zion in, in kind of a spiritual sense for us to look at it in that way. Now, we see this type of language even in Revelation, we see uh, Zion mentioned. And when we talk about Zion in the Old Testament, it talked about an actual city, but even in some of our references, like what we see in Psalm 48, I think it's pointing us to a future Zion, to a Zion that is heaven, to a new Jerusalem. And that's what we are to focus on, and that's what we are to look at. And so when we see these references of Zion being the city of God in the Bible, I don't believe it's just talking about Zion as the city of God as a physical place, but Zion as the city of God as the bride of Christ. And I think we see a great example of that in Revelation 21, if you want to turn there. Now, some of this here is going to be repeat if you, if you listen to the sermon on Psalm 46. But as important for us, I think, as we talk about the city of God, I think that this is an important thing for us to look at. In Psalm 21... Now, if you remember from Hebrews 12, it talked about Zion being a heavenly Jerusalem. And in Revelation 21, we see the new heaven and the new earth. And it says in Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Now here we see this city of God, this holy city, this new Jerusalem that John sees coming down. And what's the descriptive language that he uses for this new Jerusalem? He said that this new Jerusalem is prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Now that might throw up a flag because when have we heard reference of a husband and a wife or a groom and a bride in Scripture? Well, we see that same illustration when we see Jesus and the church. Jesus is the groom and the church, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, are the bride of Christ. And when John sees this heavenly city coming down, this new Jerusalem, this city of God, well, what does he say? He said it's adorned like a bride. Now, let's flip over and look a little further in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. In Revelation 21, verse 9, it picks up kind of the same theme again, and it says, Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke to me. Come, I will show you the bride of the Lamb. Okay, so here we see the same language. Who is the Lamb? Well, the Lamb is Jesus. We know that Jesus is the groom. We see that clearly 
throughout the New Testament. And this angel says to John, I am going to show you the bride of the lamb, of the groom, the bride of Jesus Christ. Now, let's see what the angel shows to John. In verse 10, he then carried me away in the spirit to great to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, he says, I'm going to show you the bride of the Christ, but what did he show him? He showed him a city. And so what we see is that God dwells in his city. He dwells in Zion. We see a new Jerusalem coming down, and who is the new Jerusalem? The new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ in which God indwells. Now, if you go back and, and read Psalm 46, you see that language that I believe is very descriptive of, of that future eternity and uses that symbolic language. And when we see uh, Zion mentioned, uh, as we see in Psalm 48, and we see it mentioned in the New Testament, it's speaking to us in a spiritual sense. Not that uh, it, it can't refer to Jerusalem and not that we, uh, when we see some of those references in the Old Testament, aren't to view them in a, in a physical sense. But I believe when we see uh, those references to Zion in the New Testament, that we are to uh, view it in the same way that the people of Psalm 48 did. That is, they viewed Zion as the place where God dwelled, the place where they were with God and God would protect them, that God would be with them and they would be with God. And that's the same language that we see repeatedly in the New Testament, that Jesus dwells in us, that God dwells in us. In the Old Testament, God tabernacled among the people as they had a tabernacle set up and then a temple. But nowadays, God dwells directly in each and every one of us through Jesus Christ. And so the people of Psalm 48 are rejoicing because God is with them in the city of Zion and maybe in a physical sense in Psalm 48. But for us, we look at it in a more spiritual sense because uh, we're probably not going to go back to Jerusalem and there's really no reason to, but we're going to be in a better Zion. God is going to dwell with us. We are God's dwelling place as we see in the New Testament. We are the bride of Christ and we will be in God and God will be in us. And when we read things like Psalm 48, we need to rejoice in God just in the way that the people uh, of Psalm 48 did, that they praise God, that we know that God is our protector, that he is with us, that there is no enemy that will ever overtake us. And we need to rejoice in God in the same way that they did, even if they may have been speaking in a physical sense. Well, we're looking at a much bigger picture because we've seen Jesus Christ come onto the scene. We've seen an ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ and a victory that has come through Jesus Christ. And just as much as God delivered his people from their physical enemies in the Old Testament, uh, he's going to deliver us from all of our physical and our spiritual enemies for all of eternity through Jesus Christ. And that's why when we sang that song, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion, we're marching onward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Uh, when we sang that song, uh, that's what we need to have in mind, I believe, is that eternity that we're going to spend with God, that we are going to know that we are in a place where we are protected because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, because God is our God, because we are God's people, because we trust in God and God dwells in us. So let us march on to Zion and whatever may stand in our way, let us know that God will help us to overcome whatever we are up against. Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight, and I thank you for these good words. And I pray, God, that you would help us to 
uh, just to, to grow in you and to trust in you. And as we see your people praising you uh, in Psalm 48 and knowing that you're with them and knowing that you're going to protect them, uh, God, in a physical sense, we know that you do that to us sometimes, but God, you've protected us much more so in a spiritual sense. You've protected our souls. You've saved our souls through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And I pray that if there is one that have never put their faith in Jesus, that tonight they would repent of their sins, that they would trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they would trust in you, God, and that you would dwell in them just as your word promises you would, dear Lord. And I pray that you help us not to forget who we are, that we are the bride of Christ, that we would be a good example to those we encounter, and that we look forward to the day, God, that we will one day be in your protection uh, for all of eternity, and we won't have to worry about all the sins and the and the worries of this world anymore. But God, while we're here, just give us patience and strength and endurance and help us to be able to stand against whatever the enemy throws at us and to trust you all the more. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvnatme.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.